3: the big guy is disappointed lots of other liberals are a lot worse than that Uh, Keith Olbermann is at the far end of the spectrum he's unhinged, Uh, that's to be expected Joe's disappointed by the Supreme Court's decision to allow the people of New York to, you know benefit from the Second Amendment, be able to follow it the New York law required citizens to prove that they needed a gun for self-defense. Here's what the big guy said, quote, Since 1911, the state of New York has required individuals who would like to carry a concealed weapon in public to show a need to do so for the purpose of self-defense and to acquire a license. More than a century later, the United States Supreme Court has chosen to strike down New York's long-established authority to protect its citizens, unquote. And that sums up the ignorance that liberals have lived with for so long when it comes to the Second Amendment. It sums it up perfectly because Joe, Joe looks at the law as something that allows people like him to protect the citizens when it's about the citizens being able to protect themselves, not only against other citizens, but against people in government like Joe Biden. Clarence Thomas wrote the majority opinion. He says, apart from a few late 19th century outlier jurisdictions, American governments simply have not broadly prohibited the public carry of commonly used firearms for personal defense, nor have they generally required law-abiding responsible citizens to demonstrate a special need for self-protection distinguishable from that of the general community to carry arms in public. He also said that nobody has to uh, show a need for the First Amendment or any of the other amendments, the Bill of Rights. Good for Clarence Thomas. He and the other five justices who voted with him actually believe in freedom. And for Democrats and liberals, of course, that's a dirty word. And just in case you were wondering what uh, Keith Olbermann had to say about it, he said the Supreme Court should be abolished, which, of course, makes him the exact kind of person you want a gun to protect you from if he would ever work for the government. When we come back, the author of a book called Created Equal, Clarence Thomas, in his own words... And in the second half hour, we're going to talk about another big Supreme Court decision came down yesterday that gave a big boost to the school choice movement. We'll talk about that with a guy who made cho- school choice happen in West Virginia. Stick around. Right now, get zero interest financing for 12 months and no processing fee with prices set to increase on all exterior products. Lock in your quote today. Schedule a free estimate and inspection today at WindowsArrusPittsburgh.com. You've tried the rest, now try the best. Windows arrest. you've tried the rest, now try the
4: best. My
1: brother in law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, Select Quote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, call Select Quote at 1-800-940-6161. That's 1-800-940-6161. Or go to Selectquote.com. That's 1-800-940-6161. Select Quote. We shop, you save. Full details on example policies at selectquote.com slash commercials. This view was worth a hike.
4: Right? And it's a good way to stay on top of my health.
2: Yes, I'm Colaguard, a prescription colon cancer screening option for people 45 plus at average risk. Have you screened for colon cancer?
1: Not yet. Don't wait. It's more treatable
2: when caught in early stages. Tell me more. Colaguard is non-invasive and it's used at home. Ask your provider or an online prescriber if KolaGuard is right for you. Or visit KolaGuard.com. I'm in. Your spouse has said your marriage is over, and they're ready to walk out the door. So where does that leave you?
0: Hi, I'm Dr. Bean, founder of Marriage Helper. We've helped thousands of couples in this exact situation. We want to share with you the
5: things you can do right now to start turning this crisis around.
6: If you're somebody who's
0: lying in bed sobbing yourself to sleep because your husband has left you or walked out on you or your wife has left you and you think, oh, well, this is it now. It's not it. There is hope.
5: We're going to teach you the three things you need to start doing immediately to get your spouse back. If your marriage is in crisis, you're not going to want to miss this special Save My
0: Marriage event happening on lovestories.com.
4: Visit lovestories.com for the free Save My Marriage mini course happening right now on lovestories.com. That's lovestories.com.
0: The John Steigerwald Show, AM 1250, The Answer.
3: A few hours ago, the uh, Supreme Court ruled on a New York law that made it just about impossible to carry a concealed weapon and declared it unconstitutional. It was a 6-3 vote. Clarence Thomas wrote the majority opinion. Michael Pack is co-author of a book called Created Equal. Clarence Thomas in his own words. And he joins us now. Michael, thanks for being here.
4: Thank you. Thank you for having me on your show, John.
3: So, um, what did uh, in, in your uh, conversations with Clarence Thomas? What did he tell you in his own words about the Second Amendment? What did you get from him on that?
4: Well, I, I know that he's a big believer in Second Amendment rights, and you can see that in this uh, opinion that he came that he wrote today, published today, put out today. I mean, our, our film is Christ's view on everything, not just contemporary things, but we tell his whole life story. And his life story is a dramatic one, from growing up in the segregated South, the Supreme Court, through many twists and turns, and follow his life story. You know where his principles come from, and you see where his principles are. So I think the best way to understand them is to know his life, and that's what we did in both the film and the book.
3: Uh, I should mention, too, that uh, you wrote the book, but you, uh, you also have the documentary. Where can people Great. find that?
4: Documentary is streamed. I mean, first it was in movie theaters a lot, 110 theaters a couple of years ago, and then nationally broadcast on PBS, now streaming in many places, Amazon, Fox Nation, Newsmax, Salem. You can go to our website, manifoldproductions.com, where we list everywhere that it's streaming. Um, and you could buy the book at, on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or anywhere else. Both the book and the film are called Clarence, Created Equal, Clarence Thomas in his own words.
3: Okay, now, I, I, um, I saw the documentary. I can't remember uh, where I saw it. It's great. Um, but uh, for a while it was deplatformed, was it not?
4: That's right. It, uh, a, a, a year ago, February, so almost a year and a half ago, Amazon deplatformed it. It was the beginning of Black History Month, an incredible time to do this. And they, they had been streaming it; they had it on Prime, and they took it off right in the middle, right in the beginning of Black History Month. An amazing thing. It created a little firestorm. Many, many people protested directly to Amazon. Jason Riley wrote a nice piece about it in the Wall Street Journal, but we heard nothing, nothing from Amazon. No response. No nothing. And then months and months passed, and then finally. Uh, nineteen senators, led by Tom Cotton, wrote a letter to Jeff Bezos, and to that they responded. And they said, well, it was not political, we were just taking a whole bunch of documentaries off, it was caught in the algorithm. But of course, that doesn't explain why they never bothered to put it back in the intervening six months. Mm-hmm. And then they finally did put it back this February, this Black History Month, so now it's back on Amazon. Um, as well as many other platforms, and I'm not sure I want to necessarily promote Amazon, which Efron did deplatform right. for a while. But you can go there if you want.
3: Well, I, I don't know about uh, you or everybody else, but uh, if if I find out that Amazon deplatformed a book, that probably piques my interest enough to uh, makes me want to buy the book more.
4: They deplatform the movie. They haven't deplatformed
3: the book. yet. Yeah, Don't yeah. give them any ideas, John. Yeah. Okay. Well, I say anything is deplatformed—book, movie, whatever they take. When they start yeah, doing that, right. it piques my interest. Oh, it must it's, be something good there. And they, in this case, he would be right. Yes, of course. Now, I did see it, and 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 you mentioned this in your first answer here, but uh, how did a? Uh, and this this comes out in the. Uh, it's very well uh, depicted in the in the in the documentary. How did a black guy who grew up poor in the Deep South uh, become probably the most consistently conservative justice on the Supreme Court?
4: It is not a simple tale. I mean, that's why it was a challenge to get it into a two-hour movie. You know, as you know, he grew up. I mean, he was born in Pinpoint, Georgia, a Gullah-speaking area on the coast of Georgia. English not his first language. His father left before he could remember him. His mother took them from Pinpoint, he and his brother Pinpoint to Savannah, where they lived in dire poverty, cold in the winter, hungry all the time. And when she finally realized she couldn't take care of them, she brought them to her father, his grandfather, to raise. And that's where he got his fundamental principles. His grandfather said, the vacation is over. He made the kids work all the time, go to school, come back, work with him on his home heating oil truck. Uh, he sent them to Catholic school, you know, this is the segregated South, so it was all black school, run by these Irish nuns, and they gave him discipline and hard work. And that put Clarence Thomas on that path. And you know from the film, but not everybody knows, that he wanted to be a priest. He was doing so thriving so much. And he entered the seminary. It was only because he experienced some racism in the seminary that he, and and it was the late 60s, it was the times, and he sort of rebelled against his grandfather and his values. He didn't want to be a priest anymore. Then his grandfather kicked him out of the house, his only home he knew, and he went to Holy Cross on a full scholarship and became a radical star to the Black Student Union, invited Panthers to speak, supported leaders, the more radical, the better, as he says. And then the film tells his, his journey back from the radical left to his the core values of his grandfather and the nuns, and that journey also is not a straight line, and, and that's what gave him the values he has today, I mean, and that's why he is so staunch, because he went through this period of rejecting them and coming back to them.
3: And so he, he was, when you say he was a radical, was he um, a, a Black panther uh, well, is radical?
4: He was not a Black Panther, but he was sympathetic to the Black Panthers. Yeah, at yeah. least he invited them to speak at Holy Cross. Mm-hmm. And he, he, although he does say when they came, the Black Panther waved his gun around, as, as Thomas says, "I was not impressed." But still, it was a, it was a time where you would invite such a person to right. a college campus, you know. And he certainly supported Malcolm X. He supported Stokely Carmichael. He supported H. Rap Brown. He supported any Angela Davis. So yes, he was pretty radical. As he said, "I was never a liberal, but I was a radical."
3: He and I are about the same age, uh, so we were we, we were in college in the uh, late '60s and early '70s. So yeah. I know exactly where, you know, what I know what I know what he grew up in, uh, you know, what it was like. But so, th- what was what was the epiphany? What, what what was it? Was it any one event or any one uh, person that he met? What was it that that got him off uh, that track?
4: It was a series of things. I mean, the first of them, in a way, was that he participated in this anti-war demonstration in Cambridge, Massachusetts, um, and it turned into a riot with tear gas, and he got caught up in the madness of the crowd. He, you know, he he was enjoying it. He was he was he was participating in that. You know, kind of he he was felt himself identifying with the violence, and he was sort of horrified by what he was becoming. And even though he had rejected the church and his grandfather when he came back to Holy Cross, he was still an undergraduate, he went to the chapel late at night, was, was closed, but knelt outside and prayed and said if God would take anger out of his heart, he would never hate again. And that was, the be- he says, the beginning of his journey back to both faith. At his values, but the, but the core values took a long time. I mean, this was he was it was not until many years later that he voted for his first Republican, Ronald Reagan. Um, and, and he had to think his way back. He was very influenced by Thomas Bowl. He was very influenced by Anne Rand. He was very influenced by many other books that he read, and he was influenced by watching the failure of liberal social programs, you know, such as busing, which he saw which was not far away in Boston.
6: Mm-hmm. And
4: he saw these things fail and he did not feel that the people implementing them really cared about the people they were supposed to help. He thought it was all virtue signaling, having a theory and sticking up to their theory not for the people who were its victims. And and that changed him. He came to reject bussing, affirmative action, many other things who he who, many other things that he saw fail in in the as he observed his own life. So it was a series of these things, but he he definitely came back to those core values. And he related them to, the reason it's called created equal, he related them to the principles of the Declaration that underpin the Constitution, and those two documents that are the foundation of the American Republic are, are core to Justice Thomas.
3: And he, you mentioned Thomas Sowell. Um, It's interesting because uh, who who may be the smartest man in America even now at the age of 90. um, He's a black man who was a Marxist and I think the son of a sharecropper. And you can't get any more uh, conservative. Uh, He's every bit as conservative as Clarence Thomas, if not more. Uh, So uh, did he just read Thomas Sowell's books? Did he meet him? How, How did he become influenced by him?
4: He, he did read his books, I mean, although he said the first time he was given a book by Thomas Sowell, this when he was in Yale Law Yale school, he threw it in the garbage, but eventually he did not, and he read it and uh, one of his friends at Yale said, "Here's a black guy who thinks like you, uh, you should read his books." and he read his books, and he he says that he was kind of like Thomas Sowell Ruby. I think maybe not, but he, when he met him, he got him to sign his book, and he admired him and looked up to him, and they eventually did meet and become friends. And uh, maybe Thomas Sowell would be even embarrassed for me to describe that, just as Thomas that way. But it was the meeting of the books, not necessarily meeting. I mean, they met in person and became friends, but he had already been strongly influenced by his, by his, by his writing. Um, and and that's the thing about Justice Thomas is he thought his way out of the sort of trap of said liberal programs. He didn't just um, lurch from one thing to another. He he thought his way out by reading very serious books on these subjects.
3: We're talking to Michael Pack. He's the co-author of a book called Created Equal: Clarence Thomas in His Own Words. Also the producer of a documentary of the same title, Created Equal: Clarence Thomas in His Own Words. Um, and I, you say he went to a, he went to a Catholic school. I'm trying to think. I saw the the documentary a while ago. It, was it Catholic? Did you say this Catholic school was all white? I was a picture of him, and I, he's, I'm pretty sure I'm picturing in my mind that he's the only black kid there in the picture. Well,
4: he, he but his elementary school was all black. Yeah, it was the yeah. local school in Savannah, local public school, all black. Set, you know, this was segregated. You had to be in all all white schools. This was the beginning of the '60s. Mm-hmm and run by these white Irish nuns. But then when he wanted to be a priest, he entered seminary, first minor seminary, high school seminary, then college seminary. And those seminaries had been all white, and he was one of the first black people to to integrate them. Mm -hmm. So he went to both kinds of Catholic schools, really. And it was in those later seminaries that he, you know, began to be, it was in seminary, they became disillusioned with the Catholic Church, you know, in in part because of other things going on at the times, and in part because of what happened to him in the seminary.
3: Yeah, so he's back to his Catholic faith now? Very much so. Yeah, that's what I
4: thought, yeah. Our our book um, includes a litany of humility, which is a very important prayer that Thomas, Thomas Thomas says every day. And... You know, I think his Catholic faith is very, very important to him, and it was very important to him when he went through the bruising confirmation battle.
3: Yeah, and how much did you you talk to him about uh, Anita Hill, and uh, what kind of scars are left for him, if any, from that?
4: I talked to him a lot about that. Some of it's in the film. Way more of it is in the book. The Mm -hmm. book is 95% new material, so there's more of everything in it. I think the scars went deep. Actually, I mean that's just my own personal view. Mm-hmm. I think when you watch him talking about it, you can see that it calls the those horrible events back to mind, and and I think it is a deep scar. And we talked to Ginny about it too, and she was you know in, in tears a couple of times. I think these were unimaginably hard times for them. I mean it really put them through something and bonded them together. Um, my co-author of the book, Mark Paleta, the young lawyer, was very helpful to Clarence Thomas during that period, and it bonded him to the Thomases. It's it's like going through something warlike, you know, that's yeah. so intense that you bond forever. And you could see when I talked to him that the emotion is still there. You know, it's, it comes right to the surface, and it was not fun for him to talk about it. I'm honored that he was willing to do that with me.
3: Yeah, I, I watched the trailer to the documentary today, because I, as I said, it's been a while since I saw the documentary, and there's certain things that jump out at me, but in the trailer, there's a moment where he's asked during the hearings if he is con- planning on continuing his pursuit of the, of the seat on the court, and he said, I would rather die than end the process. And that was in the middle of what you were just talking about, this terrible ordeal he was going through.
4: Well, that's right. He felt that it was no longer about being on the court he felt that his life his work the legacy of his grandfather and the nuns were being were being traduced and, and trampled on and he felt he was fighting for them and he wasn't going to give up and he wasn't going to back down even though that is probably what the left was hoping that he would just withdraw or that george hw bush would, would in fact withdraw his domination mm-hmm. but that did not happen and he gave this famous high-tech lynching speech that most of us that were around then remember, where he very strongly rebutted all of Anita Hill's charges, and in such a way, and, and attacked the Senate Judiciary Committee for giving them uh, the kind of time and attention that they did, in the way that they did, and. Um, you know, he after that, most of the country, he convinced most of the country. You know, that was the beginning early days of C-SPAN, and mm-hmm. people got to hear it unfiltered. And two-thirds of the country agreed with Justice Thomas that was over, including African-Americans, including women. And he was very convincing, and, and, he, and that is why he was voted in by the Senate, which is, after all, had a Democratic majority. Yeah. Uh, however, the the left, as their habit, has not stopped, and they continued oh, their tax on Justice Thomas. And maybe they persuaded people differently than the, than they were persuaded by Justice Thomas in ninety one, which I think was part of the reason that we made the film and did the book in the first place. I mean, they were relentless, and and that you know they go on and on and on even today. You know, tax on Jenny Thomas. You know, in the last week or so, even and. It's 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 endless. Uh, I mean, now even physical threats on people like Justice mm-hmm. Kavanaugh, but but really it's it maybe different in, in nature from these these kinds of uh, attacks on the character of Justice Thomas. And they often use racial stereotypes, racist stereotypes. They be depicted as a chef boy to Justice Scalia, a lawn jockey. A,
3: yeah, o- yeah. often
4: called an Uncle Tom, things you couldn't say about a progressive black man, you know, in mm-hmm. America today.
3: Well, I, uh, Michael, I'm out of time. We didn't even come close to scratching the surface <laughs> here. Uh, I wish I had more time, but but uh, Michael Pack, the book is called Created Equal, Clarence Thomas in His Own Words, the documentary of the same name. Check them both out. Great stuff, Michael. Mm-hmm. Really great to have you on the show. Thanks. Thank you very much, John. I'm uh, glad you like them. And we'll be right back.
0: I'm John Scott. The January 6th commission is set to convene its fifth round of hearings at this hour. Bob Agnew with that report. John, today's focus will
3: be on undue pressure. Democrats say former President Trump put on the Justice Department to intervene in the 2020 election after he said irregularities cast doubt on the outcome. House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy says the panel is simply focused on an issue the public
0: doesn't care much about. The public is focused on why is inflation so high? Why is the border insecure? Crime is rising. Everything is costing more.
3: And, John, this will not only be the final round of hearings for the week, but for the month of June as well. Democrats announcing yesterday they're processing a lot of new material that will force them to postpone next week's scheduled hearings until July. Bob Agner reporting. The Dow had 34
0: points and the Nasdaq 106 higher. This is SRN News.
4: I've always been kind of cynical towards advertising, which I know doesn't make much sense considering I'm currently recording a commercial. It's all the fluffy words that make us cynical, right? A a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, a blue light special, but only, of course, if you call right now. It all kind of makes me nauseous, and yet here I am about to say that right now actually might be a a once-in-a-lifetime moment for some of us, and that is the opportunity of a cash-out refinance. Arguably never has there been a moment in time like the last few years where home values have jumped at crazy historical levels, leaving all this extra money sitting inside our homes. A cash-out refinance lets you put that extra money in your pocket to use for life. If you'd like to see your options, we are United Faith Mortgage.
2: United Fifth Mortgage is a DBA of United Mortgage Corp. 25, Meadow Park, Road, Meadow, New York. Licensed mortgage banker. For all licensing information, go to AnimalistConsumerAccess.org. Corporate Animalist number 1330. Equal housing lender. I license in Alaska, Hawaii, Georgia, North Dakota, South Dakota, or Utah. AM
0: 1250, the answer. Brandon Tatum, unafraid to tell it like it is. On the next Austin Tatum Show, we're going to break down and talk about the things that
5: are uh, transpiring and the hearings that are happening in Texas as it relates to Uvalde and the police response. People are making comments about Uvalde and they have not Listen to an ounce of information from the hearing. Once you listen
0: to the hearing, you are going to be changed. The next Officer Tatum Show. The Officer Tatum Show. Weeknights at 7 on AM 1250. The Answer.
2: Balance of nature is fruits and vegetables in a capsule. Changing the world one life at a time.
4: I'm sleeping better. I wake up better. I was so groggy all the time. I didn't want to get up. When I wake up, I'm awake. I've got more energy. It's with my situation. I had two surgeries a year ago within three months. I had a hip replaced and a major back surgery. The circumstances where the surgeries were close together, and they knocked me down pretty good. And I'm feeling much stronger now. I'm, I just bought a bicycle ready to start getting back into shape because I have the energy to do so.
2: Start your journey to better health with Balance of Nature right now. Call one 800 2468 or go to balanceofnature.com for more information or to place your order. Shipping is always free. And don't forget to get 35% off your first order as a preferred customer by using discount code. Balance.
3: Summer is here, and the open road awaits. This is John Staggerwald, and Pitt Cycles has what you're looking for. Choose from a huge selection of 136 models from Indian Triumph, KTM, Royal Enfield, and more. Plus, some big exciting changes coming just around the bend. Get your trade in value in seconds at PitCycles.com and see just how easy it is to take your ride to a whole new level. Pit Cycles in Warrendale, next to Jurgles. Reserve now and beat the rush at PitCycles.com.
6: Pitt Cycles!
0: AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The answer. WPGP, Pittsburgh. 2223CS, Pittsburgh. A division of Salem Media Group. Listen on the answer mobile app, smart speakers, tune in, iHeart, or Odyssey. Stuck in traffic? We've got the
6: answer.
2: Volume delay is almost everywhere. Parkway north, it's heavy inbound, Reedsdale Street down to the Fort Pitt Bridge. Outbound 28, delays from Route 82 at Delafield Avenue. Looking clogged up on the parkway east outbound, really heavy between Glenwood and Edgewood-Swissvale. Delay of about 12 minutes. Parkway west heavy inbound, Green Tree to the Fort Pitt Tunnel. That's a look at traffic. I'm Jenny Robinson. AM
0: 1250, the answer,
1: weather. Clear skies expected for tonight with a low of 56. Tomorrow, mostly sunny. Tomorrow's high, 83. Clear skies tomorrow night with a low of 60. Saturday will be warm with plenty of sunshine. We'll reach a high Saturday of 88. Mainly clear Saturday night, low 68. Intervals of clouds and sun for Sunday. It'll be warm and more humid with a thunderstorm in the area, mainly later the high 85. With your weather forecast, I'm Drew Shannon.
0: This is the John stecker Show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The Answer.
3: Well, a major ruling by the Supreme Court yesterday uh, was great news for the school choice movement. Been a lot of talk about school choice from Republicans over the years, but not a lot of school choice. A lot of talk, though. It's different in West Virginia. They have real school choice down there because of the Cardinal Institute. Garrett Ballengee is the executive director, and he joins us now. Garrett, thanks for coming on the show again. appreciate it.
5: John, thanks for having me back. It's
3: a pleasure, my friend. Yeah, before, uh, before we get to what happened yesterday, we did have you on the show a while back to talk about uh, what you guys accomplished in West Virginia. So could you go over that again? What exactly uh, came of your efforts there?
5: Sure. So our organization is a nonprofit think tank located in Charleston, West Virginia, And when we came on the scene a a few years ago, it was pretty evident to us that West Virginia's education system needed reform. If you looked at the amount of money that we were putting into the system, if you looked at how generous taxpayers were as far as funding K-12 education, we really just weren't getting the kind of results that one would expect. So we looked for a diagnosis and we thought, well, my goodness, people have no options here. They have to attend the school they are zoned into, regardless of whether or not that school works for the individual child. And so we started advocating for what's called, well, charter schools. I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with charter schools. That law eventually got passed in 2019. So West Virginia became the 45th state to have charter schools. But really the kind of the the transformational public policy that happened is called the HOPE Scholarship. It is what's known as an education things account account program. And it was passed in 2021. Basically, 93% of kids in West Virginia are eligible for this program. John, that's, it's, it's amazing how kind of expansive that is. There are no income restrictions. There are no geographic restrictions. There are no demographic restrictions. So uh, about 210,000 kids in West Virginia are going to be eligible for this Hope Scholarship. So what that means is a parent or a legal guardian can really design a custom education for their child through the funds available via the HOPE Scholarship. So in West Virginia, it'll be about $4,500. There are at least a dozen approved expenses, maybe more at this point. So if your kid would do better in a private school, great. Send your kid to a private school. If your kid would do better with home-based tutoring and online curriculum and education therapies, great approved expense educate your child that way so it's really a complete break from just kind of the old way of of thinking about education and so prior to the hope scholarship passing i think the largest one was in arizona it had been started back in 2011 and it was primarily for special needs students and maybe kids of of military families and so what's unique about west virginia is again is over 90 percent of the kids are eligible so it really is kind of a sea change in the way that we think about education and school choice
3: so uh, you you hear hope scholarship? It sounds like uh, something that a a nice nonprofit organization came up with, and you have to apply for the scholarship, and you know there's certain requirements and uh, academically and and uh, every other sure. and, and and financially and all that. But the hope scholarship is funded by West Virginia taxpayers, correct?
5: Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So the child once they withdraw from the public school, or if they're entering kindergarten. The child is then able to use 100% of the funding they would have received had they been in public school via the state, and not to get overly wonky about this, but they would get about 100% of the funding they would have received from the state funding portion. So the school districts basically keep the local dollars and the federal dollars. And then the student is allowed to use the state funding portion, uh, again, to customize his or her own education.
3: So you, when you hear, like, I don't know what the number is in Pittsburgh, let's say it's uh, $18,000 or $20,000 it costs per student to go to a city school here in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, some of that is um, uh, is state, some of it's local. And if this were to happen in Pittsburgh, uh, a kid who didn't want to go to, say, Langley— would say, I'm not going there, and it would get whatever the state would pay for each kid to go to Langley.
5: Exactly, exactly. And, you know, it varies state to state and area to area, but generally speaking, of the three funding flows for a child, only about 10 to 15% comes from federal, and then the rest, uh, about 45% typically comes from local, and then another 45% typically comes from the state. And that's usually how it breaks down. And in West Virginia's case, they get 100% of the state
3: portion. So, and in the case of West Virginia, it's always $4,500?
5: Well, that'll change. It'll change on kind of the average funding for a student in the previous scholastic year. Um, but we expect it to always hover probably around forty two dollars to $4,700. And I know that doesn't probably sound like a lot of money to your listeners, but for example, in West Virginia, average private school tuition is really only about fifty-two hundred dollars, and so you know we anticipate a lot of families will use this to go to private school, mm-hmm. um, and so that that will be a significant bridge for a lot of families here.
3: Yeah, and uh, just to be clear, the uh, the number, whatever the number is, it's every every kid is entitled to exactly the same amount of money. It doesn't fluctuate based on income, demographic, where you live, anything.
5: Exactly. That's uh, one of the main reasons why this is such a huge deal in kind of the educational reform world. You know, most of these types of programs, John, they they tend to be income-based. So if you're in a household under, you know, 200 percent federal poverty level annual income or something like this, then maybe you would qualify for like a limited voucher or something of that sort. That's not the case in West Virginia. The, The law was passed with the intent to be as expansive as possible. And to give every kid the opportunity on education that really suits his or her needs.
3: So what's been the response from parents? Uh, how 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 popular is this? But, well,
5: it, one of the sad things about school choice, and it doesn't really matter kind of how long the program is around or how expansive it is. Most people have no idea about the school choice program they're eligible for. So one of the things that we're trying to do is really make sure that families are aware they have this option. And I think... It's working. So the latest numbers that we have, the program's not even started yet. It starts this fall, uh, assuming all goes well. Um, And we've already got 3,200 kids approved for the Hope Scholarship, another four or 500 are under review right now. Um, So we're going to be tickling 4,000 kids probably by the time this thing is up and running. And just to give your listeners context, that would be probably the 28th, 29th largest school district out of 55 school districts in West Virginia. Mm-hmm. So this would place kind of hope students kind of firmly in the middle of the pack as far as size. And so we, we have every intention of continuing to make people aware of this program so they, again, so they can access those dollars for their kids.
3: Then, how does the Supreme Court's ruling, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning here, on the situation in Maine affect the movement? Did the, uh, was there any—I I think you've made it clear that uh, it doesn't matter what you use the money for. You say private school. That could just as easily be a private Catholic school or any other religious school, right?
4: Sir, so
5: yesterday was Carson versus Macon, and it was born out of a case in Maine where a family— uh, Maine has what's called a, a town tuition program. But really this court case is sort of the, the latest in the long line of court cases over the last 20 years that are really trying to get at this nexus between religious education, discrimination, and school choice programs. Mm -hmm. And so what basically the Supreme Court said was, if you have a school choice program that is generally available to students of any type, you cannot disallow religious schools from participating in that school choice program.
3: That's what the Supreme Court said yesterday, correct? Correct
5: exactly exactly because if you do that's tantamount to discrimination against religious schools Mm -hmm. and that is unconstitutional and so this is frankly we've had espinosa back in 2019 we've had a long string of of court cases really victories for the school choice movement and they've all said that same thing if you have a school choice program again that's not mandatory you don't have to have a school choice program but if you do and it is generally available to the public, then you cannot require students to not go to religious schools because, again, that is re- discrimination.
3: Now here, here and so that's what the six six
5: to three uh, decision yeah, said yesterday. It
3: seems to me such common sense. you 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 make the decision that you're going to allow people to pay for their own schooling. If, that, if you're the government and you're, allow, you're allowing them to take tax money that would normally go to use them to be used in a public school and you say go out on your own and go wherever you want, well then why would you even why would anybody think that there'd be any reason for the government to decide which schools that you're allowed to be involved in? It's, it's supposed to be about freedom?
5: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no absolutely. You're, you're a man after my own heart. Unfortunately, common sense is not typically found in a lot of these debates. But that's basically what the the family was saying, the Carson and the Carson B. Macon. It was a mother who had a child who qualified for the town tuition program, and she wanted to send her kid to the local religious school. And the state of Maine said, no, you can choose any other school you want, but you can't choose that one. And you can't choose that one solely because it's a religious institution. And again, the Supreme Court said that's ridiculous. That's discrimination against a religious school. You cannot do that.
3: Sure sounds like discrimination against Catholic schools. I don't know. Maybe I'm nuts. That just seems pretty obvious to me. <laughs> um,
5: well, actually, your, your intuition is spot on. A lot of these amendments that, that really kind of made their way through, through the legislatures were actually pretty much explicitly anti-Catholic. Mm-hmm. Public schools back in the day were, for all intents and purposes, basically kind of low-level Protestant schools. And so what it basically amounted to, for example, they're called Blaine Amendments. Blaine was a senator, I believe, from North Dakota. But anyway, he, made a, he wanted to uh, make it so that you could not use public funds at sectarian schools. And back in Senator Blaine's time, sectarian was basically synonymous with Catholic. Right. And so basically the disallowing of, of, of public funds for religious schools basically meant, nah, you just can't send your kid to a Catholic school. So that's, we're still sort of fighting that legacy today to some extent.
3: Yeah. Now, um, uh, I think one of the things you told me, we're talking to Garrett Ballinjee. He's the executive director uh, for the Cardinal Institute that uh, came up with uh, the HOPE Scholarship, which allows kids to go to school where they want in West Virginia and take um, state money with them. Um, you said that I, I think that you're hoping that schools pop up uh, based on the availability of this money. In other words, you could get uh, 20 families to put their forty-five hundred dollars together, and that would come up with ninety thousand dollars, and they could pay a teacher to teach their 25th graders uh, for a year. And that, was, as long as that teacher's accredited, that that's their school. They come up with creative I mean, things like that.
5: I can't wait. I mean, I really think that we're going to, West Virginia is going to be a hotbed of innovation and education over the next 10 years, and it's all going to be catalyzed by the HOPE Scholarship, which again is just simply allowing families to, to craft an education that's going to work for their kid. And I think if, if COVID-19 taught us anything, particularly parents, it's that kids thrive in different learning environments. Some did so well at home on the computer and some failed miserably and were miserable themselves. And so I think this coming out of COVID-19, I think a lot of folks are beginning, beginning to understand the system does not work for every kid, and we have the capability, we have the means, we have the ideas to create a different environment for kids and we're going to give families their own their own tax money so they can go forth and try to again build an education that works for their kid. It's, it's simple, it's elegant but and it's beautiful in my opinion.
3: But what about the argument from Democrats that this this will harm public education? It comes mostly from uh, unions, but what about that argument?
5: Well, in a word, it's hogwash. Um, there's There's no research that says school choice programs hurt the local public school system. As a matter of fact, there's quite a bit of research that says the introduction of competition makes the public schools themselves improve. And you can actually you can see that in the test scores of kids that, that choose not to engage in a school choice program. And so I, I also think we have to get out of this mindset that we have to think about systems, i.e. the public school system, and get back into a mindset that we have to think about students. Students mm-hmm. first, not systems first. And I think once we get that, once we have that change in our thinking, then we're going to see some really interesting things come through.
3: What a concept. Uh, what, what could other states, including Pennsylvania, who talks a good game uh, but doesn't do much about it, what, what could Pennsylvania learn from West Virginia?
5: Uh, be brave. <laughs> Don't listen to the noise on the other side. And remember why we have education in the first place. It's not a jobs program for teachers, it's not a jobs program for uh central office administrators and those sorts of things. We have an education to edu an education system to educate kids. And if you put the kid first, then it becomes very easy to pass things like a hope scholarship or an education savings account program. And really, again, ignore the noise. You know, we, we heard all that once the Hope Scholarship passes, it's going to be Armageddon here in West Virginia. And the unions are going to vote out all the Republican legislators, yada, yada, yada. None of that has come to fruition. As a matter of fact, many of the school choice champions in the legislature won reelection bids. And there's such an energy in West Virginia now, John. I mean, we're not synonymous to sort of innovation or prosperity or any of that kind of stuff. But I could tell you that the excitement in the air here is palpable. And frankly, if I was another state, why wouldn't you want to do? Why wouldn't you want to do that?
3: I've been wondering that for a long time, Garrett. I, I appreciate you uh, coming on the show and telling people. I hope there's some Republican legislature legislators out there listening, and they get off the stick and quit talking about it and do something about it, like you did in West Virginia. Thanks for coming on the show. Yes,
5: sir. Glad to be back anytime, John. Okay,
3: that's Garrett Ballingy, and he's from the Cardinal Institute. And they did it in West Virginia. Do it here. I'll be right back.
1: stress it never seems to end when you owe money to the irs what about the years of unfiled tax returns have you tried another tax service and gotten nowhere then you need tax alliance why years of being a plus rated with a better business bureau with no consumer complaints sets them apart call 800-987-1054 that's 800-987-1054 Don't wait until the IRS attacks your wages, bank account, your home or pension, and even your social security check. Tax Alliance specializes in IRS tax relief programs, including the Fresh Start Initiative, which can finally free yourself from IRS debt. Their tax professionals can file returns, fight the IRS to substantially lower your IRS debt, or possibly even have it forgiven. If you owe the IRS $10,000 or more in back taxes, have unfiled tax returns, or have a payment plan and are still frustrated, call 800-987-1054. That's 800-987-1054.
6: Tax Alliance,
3: your tax resolution solution. Right now, get zero interest financing for 12 months and no processing fee. With prices set to increase on all exterior products, lock in your quote today. Schedule a free estimate and inspection today at windowsarrestpittsburgh.com. You've tried the rest, now try the best. windowsarrestpittsburgh.com. Windows are us. You've tried the rest,
6: now try the best.
3: In 2008,
2: I wrote the book, The Dumbest Generation. This is Mark Bauerlein. My first book chronicled the millennials who spent time staring at screens with extravagant hopes of a high-tech future. They were confident, optimistic, ambitious. Technology was to make millennials the smartest generation. In truth, it robbed them of faith, patriotism, history, art, literature, civics. The mentors didn't give them beauty and truth and greatness. Instead, millennials have looked for answers and utopian dreams of perfect justice and universal happiness that will only disappoint them. At age 30, they go for cancel culture. My new book, The Dumbest Generation Grows Up, From Stupefied Youth to Dangerous Adults, lays out the wreckage, and shows how to rescue the next generation. If you'd like to learn more about my work, listen to my podcast at First Things Magazine, www.firstthings.com, www.firstthings.com.
5: From best-selling author Mark Bauerlein, get the essential new book, The Dumbest Generation
1: Grows Up, available wherever books are sold.
2: Hey, I'm Andy.
3: Enjoy. The John Steigerwald Show. AM 1250, The Answer. Looks like there might be some uh, progress being made on the transgender insanity when it comes to sports. The uh, The international body, uh, it's called FINA, I think, uh, that that, uh, that governs swimming, finally came out and said that um, men will not be able to compete against women. They, they they can't come right out and say that. They say that males who um, did not uh, start changing did uh, not take puberty puberty blockers before the age of twelve i don 't know whatever it is leah thomas wouldn 't be swimming anymore uh, based on this but um, one of my favorite pictures, and I use it a lot on um, um, Twitter when I talk about this stupidity, one of them is a picture of dr. Rachel Levine. I like to throw that up there, but there 's a picture of a of a rugby player playing women 's rugby. This guy's about six-two, two-fifteen. Looks like an NFL linebacker. There are pictures of him out there running around playing rugby against women. I don't know if you've ever seen rugby. It's a pretty rough sport. Uh, it's not a sport to, to trifle with. You get banged around pretty well. I, I don't. Uh, I don't know if I've ever watched a, a women's rugby match for more than twenty seconds. But uh, it, it's. It ain't. Th- this guy should not have been playing rugby against women. But the international, and I forget the guy's name, but the international is, I think he goes by Hannah now. The International Rugby League has banned transgender players from uh, women's matches now. It issued a statement on Tuesday in which it explained it was working to, quote, review and update rules about transgender participation in Women's International Rugby League and will seek to use the upcoming World World Cup to help develop a comprehensive, inclusive policy. Uh, And in the meantime, the IRL stipulated that, quote, male to female trans women players are unable to play in sanctioned women's international rugby league matches. Just think about the fact that you have to think about this or talk about this for more than 20 seconds. You look at this guy. He's a moose. And it's rugby. Okay, they don't wear equipment. They tackle each other. They bang each other around. And and. It's, it had it took the what's this the International Rugby league how long to figure out that it was a bad idea to have uh, this guy who who looks like a, an NFL linebacker playing against women in rugby and now they're, they're they have to make a statement they have to make a big deal about it and we have to we have to have official statements about this and that and it's just so obvious uh, it's 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 beyond belief that it's gone on for this long but a uh, uh, for, fortunately, that it's not just going to stop with rugby and swimming. They're now uh, they're talking about the, uh, the track and field, uh, the uh, the cyclist international uh, overseas cycling competition. Doubled the period of time required for trans women to have been in transition to be eligible to compete. They're trying to end the insanity, and they're doing it as pol- as politically correct as they can. But it, it's all just common sense, and one of these days sanity will prevail, and this stupidity will end. Of course, I could be wrong, and if, not, if I am, we're all doomed. I'll talk to you tomorrow. The John Steigerwald Show
0: is a production of the Answer Pittsburgh and Salem Media Group.